Translating Arcadia tells the stories of people who belong elsewhere, and the pain that comes from being trapped here instead. Their contents may be upsetting or uncomfortable. This story contains child murder. It had already been raining for a week. The old men that sat in sagging orange couches on their porches, drinking beer in paper bags, smoking cigarillos, and playing checkers, all said this was the wettest fall they'd in, oh, thirty years. Things that could had gone soft, rusted grown mold and mushrooms. Things that couldn't had hard, clean edges, dripping and washed-out colored, water-spotted aluminum, galvanized steel. The only reason nothing had happened to Sophia that night was because she had the mumps. That's what Mama and Yaya said in the weeks after, whispering over their teacups heads together at the tiny table in the tiny apartment kitchen. Efaristo to theoia paratitira, Yaya murmured, and Mama added, Who would have thought? They were wrong. Sophia knew, but it wasn't polite to contradict. So she never said, but she knew that being homesick wasn't why. That she hadn't been safe because they'd made her stay in. She'd been left behind, safe and unwelcome. The night it happened, she had felt better. No more swelling like a soft-boiled egg on the side of her neck. No fever. She hadn't wanted to be overlooked. She was so proud of her costume. It had taken weeks, painting feathers found scattered by a tomcat-ambushed pigeon, arranging them carefully on the headband, stringing her necklace, turning Papa's hairy brown shirt with the big hole into a fringed dress that almost looked like how she thought deerskin would. It was the first year she wouldn't be a bedsheet ghost or a witch in Yaya's black mandili. She'd be like the three other girls in her class. They were always princess in tiaras, lace, riding in pumpkin carriages, sleeping in towers. Beautiful, floaty-dressed, glass-slippered. Sophia knew the costume wouldn't make her look like them with their golden curly hair and starry blue eyes. It wouldn't make her fit. But she would, for once, be included, be a princess. But she'd gotten sick. It was raining. Wet would make her worse, everyone knew that. So they'd kept her in, 
Mama and Yaya with their overprotective heavy-handedness. She tried to reason, then plead, then beg, then yell, then cry, then finally throw herself on the bed in her room, ignoring them with all the force of her abandoned resentment. Mama told her to be good. She was sick. And for heaven's sake, don't slam the door. Yaya said she'd made avgolemono. She'd bring Sophia some on a tray later. And Sofitza Mu, don't cry. You have to rest to get strong. Sophia just shoved her face in a pillow and wished on everything she could think of that they would change their minds. It got dark, the soggy sunlight that managed to soak through the clouds fading, leaving wadded newspaper gray sky, then creeping black, like the bleeding ink of everyday bad news. Sophia sat up on the bed watching the lights come on behind the shades in the windows of the building across the way. She listened. Wanting to hear them coming to get her, skirts swishing, glittery heels clicking up the building's carpetless hall, waiting for the knock, the polite chorus of voices asking Mama if Sophia could come out tonight. They hadn't asked her to join them, the princess girls not really, but they'd talked about their costumes at lunch the week before over their peanut butter sandwiches. Sophia, at the edges, the far end of the table, wanted the mouth-stuck sandwich for herself. She left her crumpled brown bag in the classroom now, so there was nothing to explain. The boys sat at the other table, punching each other. They were going to be cowboys, pirates, hobos. They would go in groups and yell, soap windows, and throw eggs at houses that didn't have candy. The three girls, and Sophia, would be different. They would be little ladies, princesses. Sophia, watching them eat their perfectly round cookies, black, white, black, wished she had some too, balled her fists in her skirt, and listened to the girl's chatter. Carol's mother had made her a lace dress, a veil, like for a wedding, from an old tablecloth. Linda had bought her costume from the store, every bit shiny satin, slick and plastic-smelling. Mary had her big sister's gown from the high school dance, pinned in and up to fit. They had glass diamond necklaces, and rings with stones as big as a thumbnail, strings of pearls, hair barrettes. Sophia heard everything, thinking about the fringed brown dress, the feather headdress. She didn't have diamonds or frosted pearl beads, but her history book told her about abalone, spiraled shells, bones polished into precious things. She'd walked the bank of the river for days, in the heavy smell of rotting fish 
and wet sinking shoes into soft mud, poking floats of tin cans and paper bags with a stick. But in the end, her work didn't matter. Three days before Halloween, Sophia was too tired to wake up for school. Mama found her still in bed, her face lumpy and swollen, her throat aching. The dress waited, draped over the back of a chair. The headdress's red-painted feathers hurt her eyes. She knew the girls were talking at the lunch table without her. They discussed pink lip gloss, curlers, their mother's hairspray, plan the best route, debate pillowcases or plastic pumpkins. Feverish, Sophia tossed and turned, finding no comfortable place to rest, knowing she would never find a way to just be apart. The costume hung over the chair by her door, where she could see it when she woke. That night, it got darker and darker. Sophia waited, watched at the window, heard through the sound of rain the laughing and calling of the other kids on the block. The girls didn't come. Finally, when Yaya tapped on Sophia's door, said, maybe it's time for bed now, Sofitsamu. Sophia knew that they would never come. With their peanut butter sandwiches, golden curls, beautiful lace dresses with real tiaras. They would always sit together, and Sophia would never be invited. They found them on Sunday morning. Sophia knew something had happened, because Papa came in with the paper, wearing his work face. Yaya was making tea, Sophia tried to eat oatmeal with a mouth that wanted chocolate, caramel, orange and white striped triangles of sugar. Papa told Sophia to finish and go to her room. He had his work voice on, too, the one he used with the men in suits. So she went, sat on the bed, looked at the costume on the chair, waiting since Friday night. Looked out the window. It was still raining. They were talking, but she couldn't hear what. Just a rush and hiss, like water in the gutter. But she heard Mama start to cry. Yaya moan, Theemu. Sophia tiptoed to the door, brushing the brown dress with her fingertips, looked around the edge. Papa was sitting at the tiny table, his work face cracked. Mama covered her eyes with a handkerchief. Yaya just sat, eyes staring. On the stove, the tea kettle screamed, but no one got it. Those poor little girls, Mama said. Who could do such a thing? Papa's work voice was raw, too. All three found them by the river, thrown out like trash. 
he took them off the street altogether. Those beautiful little girls. Killed and who knows what else, Mama said. How could anyone do it? Mikres, princesses, Yaya added. Sophia pushed the door. It creaked. They just looked at her as she came in, her dark hair fraying from its braids, her dark eyes still glassy from fever. Yaya came to her, swept her up in arms smelling of tea and honey. Sofitsamu. Then Mama and Papa hugged her too, Mama crying, Papa saying into her hair, It could have been you, it could have been you. They were wrong. He had wanted a princess, the man who had sought and taken and claimed. There were no princesses with brown braids, brown eyes. No princesses that were always at the edge of the table, watching. Even the men in the dark who took girls from the street left them behind like broken toys. They knew it couldn't have been her. Leaving Mama crying, Papa's crumpled face. Leaving Yaya finally taking the kettle off the flame. Sophia went into her room quietly closed the door. From the back of the chair she took the dress with its carefully even fringe, the headdress with the painted feathers, the beautiful necklace of unearthed shells, cradled it in her arms. Then without tears, without a sound, she ripped away the fringe, turned the could-pretend-it-was-deerskin into ribbons, stomped the feathers, crushed the shells into fragments, reduced the dress that hadn't been pretty at all anyway into a litter of scraps on her bedroom floor. Just as carefully swept it into a bag. Later, she would throw it out by the river like trash. When the rain traded places with a brutal sun that melted the tar in the road, and the old men on porches said it was the hottest summer in no thirty years. People forgot. There were two new girls in Sophia's class now, Barbara and Louise. They had curls and sat together when they ate their peanut butter sandwiches. They were going to be ballerinas. Sophia had stopped sitting on the edge of the bench. She ate her lunch out of the crumpled brown bag inside the classroom, reading books about abalone, spiraled shells, bones polished into precious things. When Halloween came again, Mama asked Sophia whatever had happened to her Indian princess costume. She'd taken so long to make it, and then all that happened. Why didn't she wear it this year instead? Things were so safe now. Sophia shook her head, brown braids falling over her shoulders, brown eyes wide, 
held up her open, empty hands. This story, The Princesses, was performed by Kelly. Translating Arcadia is written, directed, and edited by Lisa Guente. Its music is composed and performed by Michael Freitag. More information about the stories and their performers can be found at translatingarcadia.loudnames.com. Translating Arcadia is a production of Loud Names Media.